Welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast, your fast-paced podcast for Formula One news and analysis. Throughout the Formula One season, we will be recapping every race as well as breaking down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race on the Formula One schedule. Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you have just discovered the rush of racing, this podcast has something for you. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to another episode of the Pit Stop Podcast, presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Back again here with Jordan and Tyler. Gents, the Spanish Grand Prix was full of excitement. We saw a Red Bull 1-2 finish with George Russell rounding out the podium. Uh, this race had it all. Plenty of overtaking, cars struggling early, colors spinning out. Uh, it was far from disappointing, unless you are a Ferrari, who once again saw Carlos Sainz struggle early. Fortunately, turning it around to finish uh, to finish fourth. But the biggest disappointment of all, seeing our championship leader, Charles Leclerc, losing all power after collecting the fastest lap on the 28th to force the first his first DNF of the season. Jordan, how does the fastest car on the track in open air lose all power? Well, they had a serious uh, power unit failure. Uh, they talked about it today. Basically, they said both the, the turbocharger and what's known as the MGUH, which is basically the part of the engine that regulates the heat, ex, like the excess heat that is turned back around into the turbocharger, uh, failed. It just, it was a huge failure. I was reading a lot about it today. I'm not a huge gearhead or sort of mechanical guy, but I was fascinated by like how it worked because it was another opportunity to kind of learn another part of sort of how the F1 engine works. So let me just explain it really briefly. Basically, uh, for those who know what a turbocharger is, right, you're pushing excess um, airflow uh, at a high speed back into the engine, which creates more horsepower. And one of the things that these hybrid Formula One cars do is part of the heat that is given off when they're burning the fuel, they actually capture and then they use that to force back in. So the turbocharger is not just pushing high pressured airflow back into the engine, it's actually pushing hot air back into the engine. The problem being, we, we saw both with the Mercedes uh, later and a few of the other Ferrari powered engines, it was hot in Barcelona and a few of the cars really struggled with that. Obviously Mercedes uh, was able to finish the race, although Lewis did lose a spot because of it. But for the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc, it was just, it, it overheated and the, the engine failed. And unfortunately for him, as you said, you know, he was at a commanding, I think like 19 or 22nd lead at that point yeah. and a race that was completely going to be, a, you know, just a, a walk in the park for him. And next thing, you know, uh, he's sitting there with his first DNF of the season and watching very valuable points go one, two to Red Bull, just a devastating finish for him. So now before we get into, I think that the Mercedes problems at the end was fuel related, not uh, engine heat related. Um, but oh, they true. did have engine heat problems earlier in the race. Uh, you could hear George Russell worms, talking yeah. about it, but the yeah. engine cool system was coming on early and he didn't know why. And yeah, exactly. So heat was definitely a factor throughout the race overall. You know, yeah. it was did you see the track temperatures? It was crazy. It was like oh, yeah. 39 degrees Celsius, normal, like normal everyday temperature. Yeah. And then track was like 65 degrees or something like that. That's yeah, insane. Smoking hot. I yeah, think even before is- the race started, Russell was complaining about no, yeah, it was Russell it was complaining about just the heat in the cockpit. He was like, it feels really hot in here when this is before the race has even started. And then oh, like man. seven laps in, he's getting alarms going off that he just had to ignore because it was like, they were just, there was nothing they could do about him. You know what I mean? So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Tyler, uh, uh, let's just get right into Red Bull. Like again, this is the, we're seeing Verstappen do what Verstappen does. Um, at the end of the race though, Sergio Perez, 
there was some cryptic kind of, hey, let's talk about this later. He, he had a really great race. Uh, what happened here with Red Bull at the end of the race? They should be very excited finishing one, too. Uh, as our good friend Elliot says, long live Red Bull. Uh, but what? I don't know why you got to bring Elliot into this. I don't know why you want to get me all fired up right away. But uh, the thing with Red Bull was, and I agree with the announcers, if you watched the race when they talked about it, there was no reason to tell Perez to let Verstappen pass him. Verstappen was going to pass him. He was on newer tires. He was faster. Um, and I, it, it kind of is a little nice that Perez is now sort of at least vocalizing the fact that he does want to win. I mean, the guy's a competitor. Like we, like we, like as an average citizen of earth, I'm a competitive person. So when I see these guys that are paid athletes that have been doing this their entire lives have to let their competitor pass them. It's like, it hurts a little bit. And it's Perez is the ultimate teammate. Nobody can say anything bad about Perez as a teammate. He is the ultimate teammate, but it is nice to see that he does want to succeed. He does want to win here and there. And he's not just kind of there to be Red Bulls, two or three uh, finishing guys in races. Um, But that being said, this could have been an exact situation or, or a sample of a situation where Red Bull doesn't need to say, let Verstappen pass. Like, hey, Verstappen's behind you, race him. Because he's, they know he's going to pass He's going to pass you. He's on faster tires. He's a better car right now. Let it happen. But also, you don't want to crash. But come on, like, like, wouldn't that be fun for those two guys as well? Like, they're buddies. They're friends. But at some point, you, like, if you're driving your car on the highway and you see your friend beside you, do not pick up the speed a little bit just to, Hey, Hey, I want to go. Let's go. Let's go a little bit. So it was a little disappointing to not let them race. Let's see them race. Yeah. Yeah. I'll remind you though, of uh, either the first or second race of the season where Alpine decided to let their two guys race early in a race. And it didn't end well for either driver as both cars had technical issues. I'm just saying Red Bull has a very fragile car uh, throughout this season. Yeah, you know that. I guess so. I think that at that point they were looking a golden goose uh, right in the face and did not want to risk anything. I think there was also, I mean, look, Max Verstappen is the defending world champion, whether or not he deserves to be is a different conversation. The point yeah. being, he is, yeah. he is the currently the, the leader of the championship in the season, he had an opportunity to overtake Charles. He would have overtaken him from second regardless. But the point being, he is Red Bull's number one driver. Um, Sergio was asked to, to give up the spot simply because they needed maximum points for Max because they remember what happened last year when you got to the final and you were tied. So it's stupid if you think of it from like a competition standpoint. It sucks. It shouldn't be that way. Sergio Perez should have the opportunity to erase to be fair, he didn't spin out and end up in the gravel. Now, sure, yeah. tailwinds, whatever you want to talk about. He drove a much more clean race, let's call it. Uh, he struggled to get past George. We'll talk about that in a second. But the, the truth is, like, I don't know. Uh, as shitty as it is, how many times do we see the same thing happen with Bottas and Hamilton? For sure. But isn't there a difference between construct? Like, shouldn't the team be worried about the constructors and not the driver's points? Well, they were like, I understand one, you they want were your driver. No, they They're going to get one, two. Exactly. So why, so why do you prioritize? Yeah. Why do you prioritize one? I know that you prioritize one driver because you want him to win the championship, but 
but isn't there a respect level that says like, hey, both our guys are really good. Let's see who wins this. It's a good question. And I think it is a question that will continue to be asked if they find themselves in this situation more than just this one time this season. Um, as I said, it's this like how many times was Val- Valtteri Bottas asked to do this? When, yeah, when no, for clearly, sure. And and even in the seasons when he when when like the, the championship went one to Mercedes, like Valtteri Bottas was the runner up to Hamilton at least two or three times in his tenure there. Right. There was oh, yeah. no other driver up there. The point being they had picked Hamilton as their number one driver he's the world champion in this situation i don't agree with it i think that sergio should have been given the opportunity to win this race because again i believe he earned that as you point out he may not have been able to even hold off max yeah, he wouldn't based have. on what it, what it was but the point was if you're gonna you, you have two options one you say race them and then you risk the the the, the fact that I mean, let's also be honest. Sergio Perez is a very good defensive driver. He is. Oh, he's the probably you could argue he's the best. And they didn't want to put Max in a position where he is his car would fail or have an issue or that let's say you know heaven forbid they bump or something goes wrong and all of a sudden they find themselves. I mean, they had been given a gift because of what because of an unforced error from Ferrari. They weren't gonna. They just weren't gonna risk it. It was the conservative choice. It was the right choice at the end of the day. It sucks as a viewer for sure, eh, but it is what it is. Well, Sergio Perez have to find a way to uh, become a number one driver for that to happen, for him to be able to. I think he that. took this seat. He took this seat specifically yeah. because he was pushed out of his last seat and he had nowhere else to go. And this was the deal is you come here, but you're number two. And Verstappen's been number one since Ricardo was there. So it was, this is a known thing. It just, it it's nice to see that it does affect them. It's not, it's, it kind of sucks to be a driver like Botas or Perez and just be like, okay, I'm number two. Like I'll never be number one, but to have the, like just the emotion to want to be that to me is another storyline, another driving force behind watching this race. Yeah. And and, and Perez, (laughs) Perez will probably still find himself uh, in a position to win some races this season. If he's not competing neck and neck with max in those races, then obviously they're going to, you know, open the floodgate and let him go. But when it comes to him versus Max, they, they will, they'll always invert them. So does that mean that Max has to be a DNF in order for Perez to win a race? No, 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 no. That's not true. Not necessarily. Like if you had, I mean, we'll talk about Lewis in a second. But like, let's say, let's say you have a, a situation at a start where like Max ends up with a puncture or Max, like that spin that Max had, he luckily he recovered very quickly. If he had been in the situation, Carlos Sainz was with the spin and like six or seven cars had passed him. We're talking wow. about a different conversation because he may not have been in a position near the end of the race there for them to even say to Sergio, Hey, let him pass you it's only because they are right neck and neck if 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 we were talking about like let's say red bull had had a bad race and it was they were running like five and six they wouldn't have changed them they would have let them finish i don't know i don't know about that because there was a point in this race like between laps 20 when uh verstappen was going at russell where his dns or drs was not working so it was perez who was a faster car and there was no radio saying let perez pass you well okay but again to be fair to that situation and this is a fun one to talk about because it goes to how wonderful a race george russell had and he was in a fascinating position of having to he's defend a guy he is a guy Red Bulls who were clearly faster and he held them off for at least 15, 16 laps, just, just by sheer driving. But yeah. Perez had a few goes at him even before Max caught up. Right. Cause Max had to do his first pit stop early. Yeah. And so once Max was on Sergio's ta- tail, it, that's when it started to get interesting because it was like, well, Sergio's had a few chances at this and hasn't been able to make it stick. That's the first time Red Bull inverted them, right? Because he was like, all right, well, Max mm-hmm. has got more pace than you only because you've been stuck behind Russell. Let him have a go at him. And he tried it. And obviously, eventually, Max got at the stick, had a lot of DRS issues. Which again, we'll talk about in a second. But 
I think that that was a different situation where the team was looking at it going, well, we gave you a chance, Sergio, you couldn't get past him. We have to get one of these cars past him, or we're going to, the gap between us and Leclerc, because Leclerc was still racing at that mm-hmm. point, is going to be insurmountable. Frankly, it already was insurmountable, but of course it's for F1 and you never know what might happen. And in this case, uh, obviously the Ferrari fell apart. Yeah, unfortunately. And also, um, I want to say calmly, is, is that the right word? Like when Leclerc went down, it was, it wasn't anger that we'd see out of someone else. It was just like, okay, this is a team. Like we, we are not, it's nobody's fault. And he, he took it very well, which was yeah. nice to see out of a driver, a, a leading driver. Well, I think he recognized much, much like what we've had to see a few times from Max. It's like, once the engineer tells you it's fatal, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, And I think he's he just no had point to accept screaming. his fate, right? Like, I'm sure he was frustrated. I'm sure that there were some difficult conversations later about like, how did we let this happen? But at the, the truth is for him, you know, you have to, you have to sort of, like you said, what are you going to do? <laughs> there was a, uh, I will say this about Max Verstappen because I think everybody who listens to this knows I do not like him, but there was a very endearing moment with Verstappen in this race when his DRS was not working. And he, he actually closed the DRS himself when he was pushing the button Smashing and the button. Yeah. yeah. And Horner came on and said, Hey, uh, uh, Max, I think you closed, you closed the DRS on that one. And he just goes, yes. Cause I'm pushing the button 50 fucking times before it opens. I howled laughing when I heard that. Cause we've all been in that scenario where we're doing something and it's like, it's not working. And somebody says, try this. And we're like, don't say that to me right now. I'm trying that. <laughs> I am trying that right now. So that I actually, that was my favorite yeah. moment from this race, which was an amazing race. So if that DRS, I would also, yeah, I would ahead, also say just before you get to the DRS part, cause it connects to that, but this also does go back to the whole, why I think they let Max overtake Sergio earlier uh, in that battle was they recognized that like Max was driving angry. <laughs> he was really frustrated yeah. with the situation in the car. They needed to get him past uh, and, 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 and again, you know, George put up a hell of a fight. I think the first time he overtook him, George took it right back, which was fantastic yep. to see. Yep. So, yeah, uh, he's George Russell has to be the most consistent driver on the track. Right well, now, he's no? the only guy to finish in the top five every race. Well, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I had the George Russell or Charles Leclerc who's finished like he's, he's finished one, two in every, every race that he's finished. Yeah. But let's speak to that George Russell. And is this, you know, between Russell and Verstappen, is this the new, battle that we're going to see for coming you know years coming ahead i think it's Um, a three-way battle i think that's what's exciting is you can see you can see the seeds being sown for what could be the next four or five years here championship wise where you know the three top teams who you know you can can make arguments all day long about regulations changing that the the truth is those three teams have still proven that they're still the top three dogs mercedes ferrari and, and red bull invert the order however you want right now it's ferrari red bull mercedes but the point is Lewis Hamilton is nearing the end of a career, whether it's in a year, two years, three years, however long he wants to drive. He is at the tail end of what has been the greatest career of all time, but he's near the end. Russell is the future. Charles Leclerc is the future and Max is the future. And the three of them are going to go at it for the next decade. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, like in, in, you don't even mention like Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz, like all of these guys are young and exciting like we have there is a very bright future in f1 and it's this race alone like after miami's dud this race was fantastic 40 laps of action until it kind of settled down it was unbelievable and if versus so we saw verstappen's drs just the flat not working for whatever reason if it had to do with uh that's that spin out he had into the gravel something comes undone whatever it is if verstappen's drs is open 
is that a battle? Like, are we seeing that much overtake uh, in, in, in the race? Or is he well, already ahead? I, after I, yeah, I don't think those, I don't think those five or six laps of uh, like consistently battling happen. But I think, I think for Sabbath passes him earlier, but wasn't it awesome that it wasn't working was for like, as a, as a viewer, like, I feel like F1 should sabotage something <laughs> on somebody's car every race just a for this man. aspect. Like yeah. that was so much fun. Like, is it going to open? It's not opening. Is it going to open? It's not. Opening. What do you mean? Ferrari should do it. Or pardon me. F1 should do it. They're all doing it to themselves. I mean, at this point, <laughs> yeah. these cars are so unreliable. So unreliable. Race, something's going to fail anyway. So this is just, isn't that crazy? Well, Isn't that crazy though, though to see this many failures no, on different they've aspects? Got, they've got such a new system that they've built, right? That everything is already being pushed right to the limit because of how competitive they are, but they're dealing with so many new components that you start to see the failures occur the same way they would, you know, if if you were building anything for the first time and trying to figure out how it works. They're trying to but take DRS though. Yeah, but it's still it's a completely new. It's a completely new wing design. So the the structure of the actual alloy flipping up and down is completely different than it was previously. I, I yeah. mean, it does make sense. No, you're right. Happen again. But you're it, right though. But it's interesting. Like every part ball, of these. It, yeah. And also, we haven't talked about this part. Every single team brought their largest upgrade packages so far this season to this race. I I think Haas. I sent you guys. Hostin Hostin do anything? Sorry, only Haas, but everybody else. <laughs> everybody else. Haas was like, "Now nah, we cool." Well, really and, cool. and give Haas credit, they qualified their first two cars into the top 10 for the first time ever, right? So yeah. to have both this season, I should say, not ever, this season, to have, well, it was first for Mick Schumacher ever, but the, the have both of the Haas's up there in Q3 was awesome. What I was trying to say, though, about this is that because you've got these new regulations and now all these new components going on, it is exciting week to week to see who's figuring certain things out. Obviously, the question has to be asked, is Mercedes back? Well, certainly in terms of where they've got themselves to the furthest this season, they were through all the practices this weekend, they were one of the fastest cars. They did struggle a little bit in qualifying and yet you could still see they would set a bad time. They'd adjust something. And then all of a sudden the time would improve, which is the complete opposite of what we saw a couple of weeks ago. It was like, they'd make an adjustment and then they'd bottom out. Yeah. Um, Russell is, as you say, phenomenal. He's driving this car out of his mind. I think it goes back to, I think Tyler and, I think you and I talked last week about the fact that we're dealing with a driver who drove for Williams for two or three years where you really had to figure out how a car worked because it wasn't a great car. Whereas Lewis is used to driving the like cream of the crop, pristine car. And he's for the first time really having to like figure out what works in this car. But like, can we just stop for a second to talk about Lewis Hamilton's race? He gets a yeah. pressure on the first lap with a contact made with, with Kevin Magnuson, Magnuson drops yeah. him to last place. I mean, for a brief moment there, Lewis is ready to call up. it a day, right? He, He's gave up. Like, he, he said, let's hold on to the engine. Which yeah. you can understand, yeah. but his engineers are looking at it going, dude, do you not realize the yeah, machine? You're Lewis Hamilton. You're Lewis Hamilton, yeah. And he drives himself, the highest yeah. he got was fourth place before yeah. the overheating issues. To go from the end to fourth. Gas issue. Gas issue. Fuel issue. The car issue. Before they had a problem. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable to, to, to be patient to work through and to play great tire strategy, right? They went in for the two pits. They went in for a la late pit when they had the window open there and they made it work. I mean, I, I give him, that's his best race of the season, right? A hundred percent. And does it not go to show puncture, he wins that race? Arguably, does it not, does he not, does it not go to show his, like maybe a little bit of mental toughness that he has to go through this season, like to be Lewis Hamilton, which every year you are, first or second and you are fighting like you are the the betting odds on favorite every single race so then to 
to go through this, like have a car that's actually shown improvement and that is fast this weekend to then get hit early in the race, fall back and then have him go. I, I like, it, it's almost like he mentally was like, I, this season is not for me and I'm having a tough time mentally dealing with this to just have his um, guy on his radio, just be like, Hey man, like just, we can get you eighth. We can get yeah, you eighth place. This is lap one. Yeah. <laughs> 66. It's, but I got a question about this because, you know, it made me think of this, uh, think back to that race that I think it was the final race of the 2020 season that Sergio Perez had. He was in the final spot and drove all the way back to finish, po- I think, podium, maybe even first. Yeah, he won. Yeah. How is it that somebody can go from 19th to fifth or last place to first, but they, you know, like you, you look at George Russell, who's in the same car, goes from third, fourth or fifth, but can't finish first. Well, it shows you, it shows you the pace that those top three or four teams have, right? So everybody between where Lewis ended up and where he got to was driving at a different pace and a difference. That's just the reality of it. Right. And then once he got up to those last couple guys, the gap was just so large that he was never going to catch the Red Bulls by that point. And I think that it does show you the, both the skill of what the, what, what they're doing now. You, you use the, the Sergio Perez example. He wasn't in the fastest car that year. He just happened to be in a, one of those wild races where a lot of weird shit went down and he was able to find a way those to Those racing point cars were pretty good that year. Sure, but they, yeah. weren't, they weren't fighting for the title. Um, the thing with Hamilton, though, is it's like, you're right, Tyler. He's probably sitting there going like, what the hell's happened to me this year? And yet he's sitting sixth. The only guys who are ahead of him are either driving Ferraris or driving Red Bulls or his teammate driving the same car as him. He's got 46 points. You know, if Mercedes now can keep this pace, keep increasing this pace, we really could be having a conversation, at least from the constructor side of a real three-way fight for, 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 for what the championship could be. I don't know if Mm -hmm. Hamilton or Russell will have enough points to catch up to where Verstappen and Leclerc are just if they continue this pace. But let's say you have what even happened last year, a couple of times where like, you know, the leader in that case, it was Verstappen has like two or three weekends in a row where something goes wrong. This, this whole thing can shift around. This is definitely one of the more competitive, you know, races for third that we've seen in a long time. And and if Lewis can keep pushing like that, like I said, I mean, it's a bit hyperbolic to say that, but like he had the pace when you look at it to win that race, had he not been in last place. And that's all Mercedes can be hoping for now moving forward is that they can maintain this get keep growing and building it back a little bit and from a racing perspective isn't it more fun when there's more guys in there i mean carlos is a non-factor and yet he's got 65 points yeah and to sort of answer your question a little bit there uh brain is i feel that when a car falls that far down their strategy changes to kind of like a nothing to lose strategy so Fastest tire, do what we can. Let's get it. If we have to have an extra stop, everybody else will do it. We'll do it the right time. Um, wait for a safety car, which this, that is the most impressive thing about Lewis Hamilton's finish this week was that there was no safety car. So he did not have to wait because all it would have taken was one safety car and he could have easily got back up. He did it without that, just based on pace and driver and just head down and go. Um, so I think that when you fall back, your whole plan, your whole strategy changes and you can kind of just go, this is, we either win or we crash horribly. And it, it works out a lot of the times because a lot of these middle-class cars are just like, hey, let's just get to the end of the race at 10 because we want to be in points between seven and 10. We'll be happy with that. Whereas Mercedes, it's like, we're going to the top. And like George Russell's uh, to go uh, on what you're saying, Jordan, is George Russell's only like 36 points out of first place right now. Like that's crazy. And the car that he has now that we've seen over this last weekend, like, if you're a Seinfeld out Seinfeld fan out there, like this could be the summer of George. 
For sure. I mean, I said it at the beginning. It's uh, I, I don't know whether my prediction will be right or not, but I did say I thought we'd have a few first-time winners out there. I thought Carlos Sainz would have one already, but George is looking like the next guy, you know, waiting in the rings. He led the race for about two oh, yeah. or three laps there before the Red Bull pit strategy came in. And I mean, he had done everything right considering the lack of pace he had at the start of the race. He pushed the car to its absolute limit. He played unbelievable you know, uh, sort of the, the role of the mouse in the cat and mouse game with him and who, whichever Red Bull was behind him brilliantly right to the edge a couple of times. I think there was some conversation about maybe some, how do you feel about that? By the way, I think it's good. I mean, it makes, I thought it was great. Yeah. You know, like you've got to be able to defend. I understand the difference between like how he's doing it and what we've seen from a guy like Lance Stroll, who just slams the door and causes an accident. This is a, this is a different level of, and also like that, that re-overtake that he had on Max through that chicane area there, yes. like he gets passed in the, the only spot that most guys are making those passes. He fights right back by taking the difficult, the more difficult inside line and puts that car within millimeters of contact. And it, it's just effortless. And I don't know if you caught at the very end of the race, they had the cool down room and the mic was in and out, but they were playing the replay and Max goes, that was a nice move. Like he even he could acknowledge yeah. that George was just dialed in. Uh, yeah. And even with all the distractions of literally having alarm bells going off at his crotch and trying to figure out what was going on, um, the, the you know, the car wasn't happy. And yet he somehow pushed it to its absolute limit with all the upgrades, everything else. I mean, for Mercedes, they got to be walking away from this weekend. The comeback for Lewis, the the just absolute like testicular fortitude of George Russell up there yeah. in the front, just just the best race of the week of the year for them so far. And it's, you can build on it. Monaco is a different animal, but you know, Hey, you got the right word though. You got the right word for Monaco. We'll talk about it later in the episode, but testicular fortitude for Monaco is what is needed to win that race coming up. It's true. true. So in the, in the same vein as testicular fortitude, (laughs) that's the word of the show. (laughs) Can we just talk about the surprise? We've been talking about this power, these, you know, these powerhouses and Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari, but can we, the next highest finish here was Alfa Romeo. Valtteri Bottas is Valtteri Bottas. Like this is like, is this the best Alfa Romeo's? I mean, yes, it's gotta be the best they've ever been, but did they just get gifted like a golden nugget here? Yep. No, hundred percent. Yeah, they did a hundred percent. They got gifted Bottas, who is an unbelievable driver that, if he wasn't Lewis Hamilton's teammate for the last eight years or whatever years it was, he is a driver. The guy is a driver and he's yeah. great. He's and he's showing it now in Alfa Romeo. Except for one. Yeah. And he was, what was he third most of that race? Third or fourth? Fourth? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like until the very end there, kind of uh, you saw him fall back, but unbelievable race. Uh, I think he stayed out later on his tires than anybody else. But I mean, this, this guy in the Alfa Romeo, I begin, I'll say again, I was wrong at the beginning of, the season when I said Alfa Romeo is going to be a joke this year because the the joke is on me. Those guys are fantastic with Botas running that that ship. Yeah, and it's frustrating, obviously, for Zhao because he's struggling as a rookie mm-hmm. driver often does. He's just trying to figure out this car, and his car seems to be having more issues than than uh, Valtteri. That's experience. I think it's really lucky for for Zhao that Valtteri is his teammate because he has an absolute, you know, just legend in that car to, to learn from. Valtteri Bottas on any other team or any other iteration of Mercedes is a world champion. You know, yeah. he's not the second seater to Lewis, 
five years earlier, he's winning championships. It's unfortunate. He, he, the pedigree of his driving is there. You know, there's the famous Valtteri Bottas quote. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's sort of his defining one. And I think this whole season suits it, right? He came to the end of a race, I think in 2020, after a lot of criticism and a lot of people frustrated that he hadn't been able to win races and stuff. And he gets to the checkered flag and over the radio, all he said is to, to, to whom it may concern, fuck you. And in this situation, this season, it's the same thing. He's looking around at everybody who either didn't want him or sold him out or said, yeah. like Tyler did, that this isn't going to work yeah. or whatever. And he's looking around going to who? Oh, to all of you. Fuck you. I'm here to drive. That's my job. No what I don't care what in. the car underneath me says yeah. on the side of it, whether it's Mercedes or back when he drove for Williams or now when he's driving for Alfa Romeo, he doesn't care. He's just going to drive the best he possibly can. He's putting that car absolutely just through its through it through through its paces he's put it like you said Braden. i mean finishing sixth how many times have we seen him in about that same place all season long yep. he's qualifying well he's qualified ahead of lewis uh at least four or five times already and it's just it's one of those really great stories from the mid table that's like uh, he also joked i think i saw a clip of him leaving um the the the, the um paddock what do you call it yeah i guess the paddock, paddock. yep leaving the paddock at the end of the day, you know, they've got one of their like social media cameras on him or whatever and asking how is the day going? He goes, I don't know. I guess they call it the best of the rest. Right. But I, I feel pretty good about how we're driving and it's true. Right. Uh, he knows yeah. he's car to compete for one, two, three, but if he can compete hey, for six, five, four, he's in a great shape. This is he's a hundred percent one a fan out of me. The, my favorite thing in a person is when the world tells you, you can't do something and then you just shut up and go out and do it. Like, that's how I became a fan of Gasly. Like, Gasly and Red Bull, like, hey, this guy can't drive this car. Like, okay, I'll take this lesser car, and I'm going to go out and win a race. Like, yep. that, to me, is my favorite yep. quality in a person, and Botas is showing that every single race this year. Same with yep. Magnussen, too. Like, hey, you got rid of me. Now I'm back, and I'm, I'm talked about. I'm not just here and 17th, 18th. You are talking about me every single race. Yeah. Yeah. And he and Mag, speaking of Magnuson, he he likely would have finished the points as well had he not uh, Yeah, I mean he, he was, is the victim of circumstance a little bit there too. Yeah. I mean, it's a racing incident. incident. I mean he's still finishing yeah. the points, did he not? Yeah, he finished 10th no, and no, he finished, no, I don't think uh, 17th. Oh, that was driver. I'm oh, sorry, I'm looking at the driver standings. He's 10th yeah. in driver standings right yeah, now. Yeah, for well, sure. He's go. had some great That's crazy. Some great That's Haas. Yeah. That's even better actually. Bottas. Bottas is showing the world what he can do in the race car, obviously also showing the world what he looks like naked laying in a river, which was a big part of the story this week too, because he's getting all kinds of attention. I think Valtteri Bottas right now is probably having more fun. Oh yeah. And in, in a much better place lifestyle wise than even when he was with Mercedes. Look, he yeah. was winning constructors championships there being paid well, enjoying all of the perks of it, but he was always the second guy here. He's yep. the bonafide number one. Ain't nobody taking away his seat and yep. he's loving it. He's having yeah. a great time. It'd be interesting to have a dinner conversation with him last year at this time and this year at this time, because it's probably two completely different emotions. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I also don't know if you caught the joke uh, that was asked to Lewis about that photo, right? So you've seen the photo. If you haven't seen it, just Google up Valtteri Bottas's asshole. And he's laying Is that what I'm typing in right now? Valtteri. I would rather type in testicular Valtteri Bottas River. He's river laying naked in a river yeah. in, in, in Finland after coming out of a sauna because <laughs> there are more saunas there than people. And he... <laughs> is auctioning is. off prints yep. of this photo for charity though and so they asked lewis would you buy one of these prints and lewis said well if it's for charity of course i would uh, yeah that's well, him in a, that's him naked in the river yeah. so if you're interested in supporting uh, <laughs> 
a good cause. You can get a print of Lewis or of Valtteri Bottas laying naked in a river. I think we're all about good causes here too. Yeah, exactly. And look, I mean, he started ahead of Lewis. So Lewis is used to looking at his rear end. <laughs> the name of good cause. We will leave this way to tie that in there. This week's episode is brought to us by Ellipses Thinking. Ellipses Thinking is the newest podcast from the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Host Greg Dowler Coltman shares his conversations with people actively engaged in their own creative adventures, those who identify as artists, and those who choose to experience life through an artistic lens. They shed light on relationships that shape and inspire us as we meet the challenges, discoveries, and learnings we make when we courageously invite our creative spirit forth. You can subscribe now or follow anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, okay, uh, we've got the most fanciest Grand Prix of them all, the prestigious Monaco Grand Prix coming the up fanciest. next weekend. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's a fancy, fancy race. Fancy it is a fancy race. As people know it to be, it is a grand procession of all the vehicles going one by one through the race. Um Brings that's a lot not of fair. fair. That's a not lot fair. Of yachts, that's fair. A lot of Tyler already shit all over Monaco earlier. I, I did shit on Monaco. I think it's boring. <laughs> Monaco it's can race, be very man. dramatic. You know that Monaco <laughs> still <laughs> holds <laughs> the record for the only race to have less than five cars finish a single outing in 1962. All but three cars crashed. They they literally were just fighting for which spot on the podium they were going to take. There was no one else competing with them because everyone else crashed. It's a difficult track smaller, to drive. It's an big. incredibly difficult track to drive, which is why people are cautious and don't have a lot of overtaking. But there's always drama. There'll be drama. To be honest with you, some of the best drama this, this year might come in qualifying, much as it did last year, right? Where Charles Leclerc was on pole after having already set his best time. He crashes his car, sets yeah. up a red flag, which doesn't give Max a chance to take pole away from him. And then they have to change the power unit. So they, or they had to either change the power unit and take a penalty or not. They chose not to because they didn't want to risk losing the, the pole position. And he couldn't make it through um, the, the warm-up lap before formation. And he didn't get to start the race. So the truth is that Monaco has its own kind of drama. And I think that this year with the, how close these cars can follow in some mm -hmm. of the portions here, we could be in for some interesting um, racing and we'll certainly be interested in seeing how qualifying goes because of, you know, just the, the inconsistencies of these cars. I think it'll be fun. Uh, so I'll be the devil's advocate here and disagree with you. Uh, I feel like if you, if you're new to F1, um, if you'd like watching F1, I would this weekend specifically pay attention to watch practice this weekend, watch the P1, P2, P3 and qualifying for sure. Your qualifying should be your main event for Monaco. And I don't want to, again, I, I, I did shit on Monaco earlier because there's not a lot of passing. It's, but the qualifying in Monaco is probably one of the most significant qualifying tracks on the circuit. And Monaco is statistically the most influenced driver track on the circuit, meaning that when you take your braking zone, the later you are to braking, the faster you are in turns, it's more driver influence on winning that race in terms of lap times than any other race on the circuit. And that is going directly against what happened yesterday, which is the most car influenced uh, track, meaning that your best setup, your fastest car, the best seat you are positioned in helps you win the race more so monaco qualifying and practices are going to be something to watch 
in terms of the race. I mean, Monaco has in the past had some pretty cool um, finishes in terms of crashes that lead to somebody like Ricardo winning when he's not supposed to be at that time or at that spot. Um, and it's just like, if, if you do want to be involved this weekend, it would be Saturday's qualifying. And if you don't want to be involved, but you are a fan of fancy things and yachts and celebrities, <laughs> this is also the race to watch. Plenty. And there are rumors. Uh, we talked about this earlier. There are rumors that Monaco might not be in every year track anymore. It well, used to be where they'd go yeah. and deals would get made and things would happen where yeah. the prestige of Monaco was more than the race. But now that they have Miami and Vegas and these other tracks becoming as prestigious, Monaco is kind of lacking in terms of, of them, their holding ability. They make the least amount of money in Monaco than they do in any other track. Oh, interesting. Well, and, and that, and that used to be the opposite, right? They used to yes. make so much more money off the sponsorship of it. It was the prestige race. I think it, it's interesting to hear. This is the first time I, I, I started hearing this, these rumblings um, that Tyler just mentioned about this idea that this could become kind of like a, I don't know, like a, like a signature race used once or twice every couple of years. It could be every other year. Maybe eventually it's like, you know, a special kind of thing because it is, it is different than all the other races. You know, it's built right into a very small section of, of this tiny little Harbor. It's real roads that have to be converted. The value of the land in there that just, it's just not like when you go to these newer venues that they're finding space for these tracks. It's it, it, the accommodation is bad. People are saying they're being way overcharged to like sleep on someone's living room floor. I mean, unless you have a yacht that you can afford to put there and there's only how many spaces for that too. It's not a great track money making wise. Obviously they make the money off the TV, but they're making the same money driving in, you know, uh, yeah, anywhere, anywhere else, really. It doesn't anywhere. Make they could race anywhere. And I think, yeah. I think F1 is definitely um, thinking about what the like economics of their sport look like both from the outside, but also in their own checkbooks. Look, we have our own, we have the, the first season this year with these sort of spending caps and, and rules about that. They're trying to make this a, a less elite, elitist sport. And also the fact that like Monaco is a very like blatant symbol of, of, corporate greed and wealth yes. and it's not this is not a sporting event that just anyone can attend obviously yeah. it's still expensive to go to cf1 anywhere but they'd like to start to be thinking a little bit about that that's yeah, and that I scheduling think. too i think has to do with sustainability around it becoming more globalized so you know cargo fees and and everything you mentioned with the cap and making sure that it, it's financially that this sport can be as global as possible for sure. And Jordan, to go on your um, uh, point earlier about the cars do race together better uh, in 2022 than they have in the past uh, iterations, but Monaco is a small track. It's always been small. It has not been upgraded in a long time. And these cars just keep getting bigger and it does not bode well for a small track like Monaco. Well, and there's two, so that's all of that's true. Let's jump to this year's running because there's two, for me, really two interesting storylines before the racing even comes in. Obviously, we know that this is uh, Charles Leclerc's home race. He's literally a, a native of, of Monaco, born and raised in mm -hmm. Monte Carlo. Like, this is a big deal for him. He had pole last year and it was taken away from him. This matters. He's in the fastest car. He knows that he's going to really, really be pushing for that. That's the obvious storyline. There's two for me that are, kind of interesting one is lando norris so lando norris drove this week sick he, he yes. acknowledged he wasn't feeling well he passed three covid tests so it wasn't covid related but he wasn't feeling well and it was hot out there it just like it affected oh, yeah. him he's been diagnosed as of monday with tonsillitis so oh, okay he now is basically going to take 
two or three days to try to rest up. And we may or may not see Lando Norris in the car uh, for this weekend, depending on how he feels. I think so, it's more than likely he will race. It's just tonsillitis, but he's got a fever. He's not feeling well. So, we'll so he is happens. 12 years old. We yeah, do yeah. see what we see. He's a 12 year old boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we'll see what happens. Um, the second part, um, the good thing for Lando is he owns a house and lives in Monaco. So he yeah. can go home and rest up and eat some chicken noodle soup and try to get better. The, the other so really interesting ice cream. Cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the other really interesting story is that this next race, um, there is an expectation that a lot of the threatened and sort of promised crackdown on undergarments and jewelry is going to come into effect. I'm so, so sick of that. It's the, the fanciest race there is, of the There ball? is a real possibility that Lewis Hamilton could be disqualified from racing this weekend if he chooses not to remove his jewelry. Now, who cares? Like, why do they care about this? Yeah, it's like if your car's already on fire, you're already going to burn. Yeah, that's the argument I made. (laughs) That's the argument I made with Elliot when we were talking about it. Is it's like at the end of the day, if 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 the fire's gotten to your undergarments, you've got bigger problems here. The the rest of the outer layers should be doing the protection. I understand that this is a a weird thing. The the storyline part is this. I don't know if any of you noticed, but one of the three practice sessions in Barcelona, Lewis sat out. And they raced Nick DeVries, mm-hmm. who's a young and up-and-coming driver in the Mercedes yeah. development program. I would, I would make an argument that that was more strategic than just giving this guy an opportunity. That they ah, actually wanted to make to sure Nick DeVries for- was ready to go in case some kind of bullshit goes down here in Monaco. And they have a driver who has now driven this car out on track in actual you know, race conditions, knows what the car is like. It's not he's not going in cold from the simulator he's actually driven it around a, a formula one track nick devries will be there in monaco as the backup driver but i would not be surprised if we see him take another practice lap or uh, another practice session while we're in monaco just so he's comfortable with that track barring some kind of shenanigans from the fia mm. and lewis hamilton and his jewelry i'm not being a conspiracy theorist i'm just it's I'm just putting this out there so so i got this right it's them wearing the jewelry during the race that yeah, is the, the issue race. for them yes in the car the issue is his piercings it's less about he's not his piercings wear, yeah that's the issue he's got to remove all tattoos as well no what what, what do the piercings have to do <laughs> with like, i know that does hockey still do that because i knew hockey it's, used no, to be it's metal it's, it's it's if the metal heats up uh, the regulations the, are simply stated that you can't you cannot there can it's be a nothing between thing. your body and the safety equipment. So their argument being that you, the piercings would be, could, could become a safety hazard. I don't understand it. Is that really. a safety thing though? Like, I mean, is it like, know. come on, come on, come on. There's no way that that is a safety I'm not, thing. I, look, I'm not a safety marshal for the F, FIA. I do think it's completely ridiculous. I also think that it's incredibly prejudiced considering the fact that you go look down that entire paddock. There's really one guy who's heavily yeah. pushed and he's the black guy. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. Uh, that's wild okay. if that's the actual thing. Like I, I, Because I know that other sports do this. Like NFL football used to be like that and it's not like that anymore. But you will have your like uh, necklace or chain ripped off. Like there's a thing like it will like guys go out there trying to rip it off. Like you're going to wear that in front of me. I'm going to take it off you. But that, in a sport like this, where it's just you in the car, like <laughs> what are we talking about? What are we talking about? It's ear piercings. Like, 
doesn't matter. Just, also, I don't these guys get lots of sponsorships on that? I misspoke briefly. I just want to make sure I clarify it for, for the diehards out there. I'm sorry. He didn't replace Lewis. He drove for Williams. Yes. But it was, was his first yeah. practice session for, for in an F1 car. So to and be I fair, he, he hasn't driven the Mercedes take yet. Over but, yeah, that's, that's Braden. Yeah, that's, I think Braden hit it. There's that Latifi, because Latifi's father is also talking about no longer air quotes donating money to williams <laughs> which will then give up that seat for somebody younger and latifi's not really he had a great race actually yesterday for williams he sure. was i think he led I, <laughs> he led he led the williams car above albon i think the entire race um and he finished i don't know where he finished uh, at the end but um he had a good race yesterday but his spot is up for grabs and devries very much could be that guy all right, you guys, uh, Monaco Grand Prix takes place next Sunday, May 29th, 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, it's, it's destined to be fancy and destined to be hopefully safe. Jordan, you got a note here for I just us? Wanna, I just want to give one quick shout out here because, you know, obviously this is a Formula One podcast. That's what our focus is on. But this weekend was one of the W Series races. So much like how formula three and formula two follow the F one um, sort of series around. And at certain races, we see the, the F two series racing. Um, these are the next sort of inline younger drivers driving, you know, obviously slower cars, but, but very competitive cars is where a lot of this talent comes from Formula two and formula three. But in the last couple of years, there's been this new series started the W series, which is women only opportunity to get more women into the sport. Young girls who are interested in karting, they, they, they grow up, they get, very competitive and they needed somewhere to race jamie chadwick uh, who's british she's leading the w series this season she won her fifth race in a row in barcelona which is phenomenal and there's actually for the first time since the w series started some real rumblings that both formula three and formula two teams are very interested in offering her a chance to show what she could do in one of their cars in in the upcoming um season so it's very possible that we will see jamie chadwick take either practice sessions or maybe even get an opportunity to sign with one of these teams which would be absolutely phenomenal the closest anyone's come to that level uh from the women's side of it previously is Susie Wolf, who is obviously Toto Wolf's wife, who at one point took practice sessions for Williams up in the F1 cars. So she she's sort of the pioneer of what this is. But Jamie Chadwick is the next the next great woman driver coming up. It's uh, really awesome. Okay, well let's 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 hold on for a sec here. Uh, in terms of Formula One, yes, but yes. let's not forget about Danica Patrick, no. who's won no. the Indy 500. 100. And I would say that out out of all sports. I think F1 has the potential for for this type of like intramural competition before all else, just based on biology and all the stuff that goes on way beyond how smart I am. But this specifically Formula One, that's awesome to hear because it can and absolutely one day will be uh, completely for sure. Yeah, gender neutral, which would be awesome, right? Because again, at the end of the day, you're driving a car and it doesn't make it. I mean, you got to be in shape. You got to have a good, strong neck. But there's no yeah. reason why, like Tyler said, there's no reason why we couldn't see even more um, women doing it. And what's great about it is that these trailblazers like Jamie Chadwick are just setting the table for for what the next generation of young girls looking at this were going. This is something I could actually compete with some guys on and have some yeah. fun doing. And, and it's awesome. So congrats. Yeah, and if, I just wanted to throw that out. There. And we do talk a lot of Formula One. And uh, I know that uh, Braden kind of laughs at NASCAR and stuff like that. But if you are a Formula One fan, 
And you happen to be a woman listener of ours. Look into Dana, Danica Patrick if you don't know who she is. What she has done is phenomenal. All right, Tyler, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pit Stop Podcast, presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network, and Monaco Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Vroom, vroom. Pit Stop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations and we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live create and share stories on these territories the ordinary podcasting network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination but a journey and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space